0: So um, yes. Yeah, so here in this text, he's telling you, verse 16 following, No one stood by him as defense. Everybody deserted him. May it not be charged against them. Let he, may they be forgiven. The Lord stood by him, and the Lord not only stood by him, the Lord allowed this to become an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he's been rescued from the lion's mouth, figuratively or literally. Um, and then look at verse 18. Because we say this, we need to make and we believe this confidently. We need to make sure we know what we mean by this and what Paul means by this. Verse eighteen, he says, "The Lord will rescue me." The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Quit reading. Don't keep reading. Quit reading. Now, when he says the Lord will rescue me, is he saying that he's not going? be killed as a result of his imprisonment? No. He's already told you he's pretty sure he's, he's, he's going to die. He's already told you here in Second Timothy, he's already being poured out as an offering. Uh, he's, he's unlike at the end of Acts with that imprisonment, with this imprisonment, he's already told you. He, he's, he really thinks he's not getting out of this one. But he still can say, the Lord will rescue me. I mean, it's like what I say, and I'm not sure people always understand what I'm saying when I say that you know he'll get us home before the dark, and what I mean by that is ultimately we're going to be rescued. Ultimately, it's going to be fine. It's going to work out. Sometimes when I'm by a bedside or at hospice or in the hospital, and you know, and sometimes I, I'll, I hope they know what I'm saying when I when I when I say to someone who I know is making the transition, and I'll say to that person making the transition, it's all going to be okay. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be physically healed. They may get the better healing. They, they may get healed going to the other side. But yeah, that's why we know for us it's a win-win situation. You know, not that death's not painful, not that grief is not real. I heard at a funeral this past week, someone that was sharing at the funeral referred to grief as love, love without a home i 'm um, still processing that, but it feels powerful to me. yeah, grief is real and um but when I say to someone who's who 's making the transition, God will rescue you, it will be okay. this will turn out well i 'm not saying that the medicine is going to work, and you 're going to walk out of this hospital i 'm saying something it, Actually, better than that. Same thing. Paul's saying here: the Lord will rescue me. I mean, he and he goes on to just to make sure, in case you're confused, he says the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. All these people are doing things to me, and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. So, yeah, he'll get you home before the dark. Now, I I know how bad it hurts when we lose loved ones. The pain of this world is real. Um, don't ever say anything to people to diminish that. The grief and the pain is real. Um, but still, at the end of the day, for us who believe in Christ, um, this world is the shadowlands of the real world that's to come. The other world is more real than this world. I'm quoting C.S. Lewis, by the way. Um, in case you didn't know that. Shadowlands. These are the shadowlands lands. He's borrowing it from Jeffrey McDon- I mean George McDonald. Um, he didn't. It was not unique to him. Uh, who borrowed it from Plato? By the way, um, yeah, this world's not the real world. That world's the real world. This is a shadow of the real world. But yeah, we think this is the real world. It feels pretty real to us, and we think this is the greatest of all worlds, and and it's it's a wonderful place. And I'm, I'm in no hurry to get out of it for lots of reasons. But still, at the end of the day, I know this world is just the shadow lens of the real world on the other side. And that's what Paul is saying here. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And he's saying that as they're doing evil things to him. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul's a friend of mine. He's another preacher. So he does exactly what we preachers do. You think at the Amen, he's finished. Sometimes we should be finished. Sometimes we don't stop when we're finished. I, I worked one of my best friends in the world. He's 85 years old, still pastoring a church, Little B Church up in the mountains, um, part time, 85 years old. He was the guy that I um, did, uh, I was associate pastor to way back in the dark ages, and um, started out there and learned a lot from him. One of the things I learned is, because he never did it, I, always, I tell myself, when you finish, stop. Um, he would always finish and then go on for about another five minutes. And I would always say, that's a good stopping In my mind, I'd say, Ned, that's a good stopping point. Just stop there. Anyway, it's, it's, it's an ancient preacher tradition to not stop. Here, Paul says, this, it sounds like a benediction. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now he keeps talking. And this is some fascinating stuff here, verse 19. Because uh, he remembers, maybe he's remembering. He's dictating to Luke, remember, we think. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila. Y'all remember Priscilla and Aquila? They, 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 they appear several times in, in the New Testament. Paul first runs across them as they have been... Exiled refugees from Rome. He first runs across them living in Corinth. They share a common occupation with Paul. What is it? Tent making. They're tent makers. Uh, in Corinth, they need a lot of tent makers because they had Olympic, um, Olympic activities. Um, there in uh, the Olympics, there in Corinth, one of the three places in ancient Greek, Greece. And they didn't have hotels, so tents came in real handy. Um, so you needed tent workers for a lot of reasons in the ancient world. But yeah, Priscilla and Aquila were Christians that had, had left Rome, had been kind of banished at one point when Christians had to leave Rome, made their way to the Roman colony of Corinth in and, 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 uh, modern-day Greece. Um, so they, they, they are co-laborers with... Um, Paul. They're co laborers. They're, I would say, co apostles with Paul, co laborers with Paul. And, you know, I don't think I need to point out to you they're a married couple. Priscilla is a female, and her name always occurs first. So Priscilla and Aquila are two early workers with Paul in the spread of the gospel. So um, uh, evidently, they were in Rome, they went to Corinth. So now, where are they at? They have to be in Ephesus the ancient world that was very mobile They're in Ephesus because this is where Timothy is. So he's saying, Timothy, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my good old friends, greet Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of On- Onesphorus." And you heard about him earlier in Second Timothy. Uh, he likes Uh Then he says, verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth. If you look at the end of the book of Romans... In, the, in, in his greetings at the end of the book of Romans, you will see that Erastus was a, a treasurer, a civic treasurer, a government leader in the ancient city of Corinth. Um, evidently became a Christian, uh, became a, a Christ follower, probably converted by Paul. So he, 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 he says Erastus remained at Corinth. One of the most fascinating things I ever saw in my life, first time I ever went to the ruins of Corinth, um, if you walked away from the ruins heading toward the water, which had been the port. There in the ground, under the sky, in the weeds, was a big marker that referenced Erastus, the treasurer. Um, had been there for centuries, still in the ruins of Athens, of Corinth. It's in a museum now. Can't believe it took that long to get in a museum. But that's Erastus is one of the people that we have not only biblical evidence for, but we there's an engraving that was there in Corinth that referenced their treasurer, Erastus. Um, but you can read about him at the end in the last chapter of Romans. Anyway, Erastus remained at Corinth. So there were some, by the way, there were some high, intelligent, upper crust, probably wealthy people who converted to Christ in the Roman world. Um, it wasn't all just the lower rungs of society. Coming to Jesus. There was some upper crust. So Erastus, uh, the treasurer, remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus. I left Trophimus who was ill. We don't know anything else about Trophimus other than, and process this a while, it makes perfect sense, but there are some Christians out there that need to hear this. All thing we know about Trophimus is Paul couldn't heal him. Paul couldn't make them healthy. So if you think that every time you pray, the person has to be healed physically, Paul couldn't even do that. And there's some Christians who kind of almost imply that if you get the prayer right, then it has to heal people physically. Well, obviously, Paul left Trophema sick. So um, that tells us something about life and tells us something about prayer. Sometimes God will physically heal and answer to our prayer. Uh, Sometimes God doesn't. I'm sure Paul prayed for Trophimus, but he had to leave him ill at Miletus. Miletus is another one of those cities near Ephesus uh, in present-day Turkey. Look at verse 21. Do your best to come before winter, Timothy. Why does he want him before winter? Bring Bring my cloak. It is cold in this prison. There's another reason, by the way. Um, Your study Bible probably tells you this. Uh, On the Mediterranean Sea, you did not sail from November to March because the sea was so rough. So if he didn't get there before winter with his cloak, he would have to wait till after winter to sail uh, because you would have sailed. Uh, That's the easiest way to sail from from Ephesus. Um, Actually, you would sail from Ephesus to the to the Greek mainland, go down to Corinth, and they actually had a place. There's a canal now. They actually had a place in Corinth where you could carry your boat across the land in that isthmus, put it back in the water, and sail to Italy. So, but the main way you would have gone would have been by water. It's much easier than land route. So, yeah, if if Timothy did not get bef- get there before winter, not only would Paul not have his cloak uh, that he wanted, but he would have to wait till after winter to, to travel the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Paul wants Timothy. I mean, we all have people in our lives like that. That when we're in a bad spot, um, we, we, there's people we want with it. There's some people we don't want with us. But there's some people we want with us when, when life is tough. Anyway, so yeah, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus. Don't know anything about that person. Sends greetings to you. Evidently, Eubulus is in Rome. He's pro- well, well, we do know this. Eubulus, these other three names, Eubulus and the next three names are all Roman names. They're Latin names. So he had made some... These might have been soldiers he converted to Christ. Who knows? We know nothing else except for maybe one of these. But these are are Latinized names. These are Rome. So he's saying, Evidently, Timothy knows Eubulus. Eubulus sends greetings to you, Timothy, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia. Again, all Roman Latinized names. And all the brothers, brothers and sisters. Um, We don't know anything about any of them except... See the name Linus? Don't think peanuts. Um, see the name Linus? I bet your study Bible does not tell you this. Um, we don't know this. You know, traditionally speaking, who's the first bishop of Rome that becomes the Pope? Who's the first bishop of Rome? St. Peter. Peter's Basilica. He's buried underneath. So Peter is, is traditionally seen as the first bishop of Rome. You want to take a guess at who the second... We, we know the list of popes, by the way. You can go to... We got the list from Peter up. Um, you want to take a guess who the second pope... What the second pope was named? Linus. Linus. <laughs> Linus. Could be the same... Per, he, he's in Rome... This could be the person that Paul converted to Christ who might have become the second bishop of Rome. We do know the second bishop of Rome was named Linus. It's not a highly unusual name, but who knows? That could be your second pope, your second bishop of Rome. Um, the, bishop, the pope is just the bishop of Rome. You had bishops all over the ancient world. You had, um, what happened historically, beginning pretty quickly by the 2nd century, the bishop of Rome... Started having more authority than other bishops. That's why, by the time Ignatius is writing in the early second century, the Bishop of Rome is telling, telling the folks in Corinth what to do. So, what happened historically? The Bishop of Rome began to exercise more oversight. And that's where you get the, the papal tradition from. Anyway, maybe Linus, the one who followed Peter. Then, verse 22 The Lord be with you, the Lord be with your spirit. And then grace be with y'all. It does say y'all. It's plural. That's why we know even though this letter was written to Timothy, like all of Paul's letters, it was intended they'd be read to everybody. Um, so, yeah, they would always read. Everybody in the ancient world were not literate. They couldn't read. So um, everything that Paul wrote would have been read out loud to the Christian community. Um in a worship context. So that's why, even though he's writing to Timothy, Paul wants everybody to hear what he's writing to Timothy. He wants you folks to hear what he's writing to Timothy. And that's why um, Greek, like Southern Americans, we know how to make you plural. And in the Greek version, it, it is a plural you there. It's not a singular you, says so y'all. He's talking to everybody. So that is the end of Second Timothy.